0: Welcome to the pastor's study.
1: This is a Twinkie. (laughs) I've been eating Twinkies my whole life. I remember at age six, they cost 12 cents for pack. But Twinkies, they're not very good for you. You know what this white stuff in the middle is? Whipped beef fat. All right, those are Twinkies. Or you can eat white bread. White bread is better for you than a Twinkie, but not much. Or, much better for you, you can eat 12 grain bread. And this is what is best for you. But not really. Let me tell you the best thing you can eat. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. In fact, they put it to music, John chapter 6. I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall not hunger. He who believes in me shall not thirst. No one can come to me unless the Father draw him. And what we're going to do for the sermon today is to go to John chapter 6. In fact, would you take out your Bible, turn with me to John chapter 6, And let's learn what it means when we say, Jesus is the bread of life. Let's pray first. Father, whatever it is we've been eating that is causing us to be sick, help us put those things away and instead to feed on the bread of life. Speak to us now, Lord, about who Jesus is. We pray in his name. Amen. John chapter 6, look at verse 35. Jesus is preaching to the crowd and he says, I am the bread of life. The words I am there point to the first lesson today. I am shows that Jesus is God. Follow this. There are seven I am's in the Gospel of John. I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the door of the sheep. I am the Good Shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way and the truth and the life. I am the true vine. What I think Jesus is doing with all these I am's, he is giving us a hint of who he is. Because do you remember 1400 or so BC, Moses is at the burning bush. And Moses says, God, what's your name? And what does God say? I am who I am. And I think Jesus is hinting here, I'm the God that talked to Moses in the burning bush in the Old Testament. Next verse, part of the verse, John 6, 35, I am the... Notice, Jesus doesn't say, I am a bread of life. I'm one of many bread you can eat to be saved. No, he says, I am the... Next lesson, the shows, Jesus is unique. He's one of a kind. So, now and then I'll go to a website of a church, and you can tell kind of like that if they're a biblical church or a, I'll say, liberal church. So I go to, I think it was a United Church of Christ website. They tend to be very liberal. It said this, Jesus is our gateway to the realm of the divine, but that's not to say that other people who have other paths aren't just as legitimate as our path. In other words, we like Jesus, he works for us, but if Buddha works for you, why not? Uh-uh. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. You can eat other things, but you'll get sick. I remember years ago, I went to a pizza restaurant about 2 o'clock in the afternoon. They had two slices of pizza for the price of one, because it was later in the day. So I, I took them back to the church office, ate them, I got sicker than I've ever been in my life. And I think for about 45 minutes, I really wanted to die. I've never been that sick. Horrible pain. And I think, I call that the pizza of death. (laughs) And Jesus says, I am the bread of life. You can feast on Buddha and the New Age movement or Islam or other other routes, but you're going to get sick. I am the bread of life, says Jesus. Next word, I am the bread. The word bread simply means that Jesus nourishes. When we say Jesus is the bread of life, he nourishes us. Now, I can eat Twinkies. (laughs) I can eat white bread. Or I can eat what's best for me, 12 grain bread. Or I can eat what is very, very much the best for me, I can feast upon the bread of life. We have had this TV show going now for 30 years. And we have had wonderful interviews. We had a former prostitute on our show who now is a born-again Christian helping women out of prostitution. We had a man who was a Muslim and now he's a believer in Christ. We had a woman who was deeply into the New Age movement and witchcraft and then she came to Christ, we did a great show with her. We've had people who are drug addicts from uh, Teen Challenge on the show and now they are born again Christians. And you know what the main message of all those people was? I used to feed on other stuff that made me sick. Now I am feasting upon Christ. Look at the rest of verse 35. I am the bread, next words, of life. Those words mean Jesus brings eternal life. And, and we know that because if you look down at verse 48, it says, I am the bread of life. Your fathers, the Old Testament Jews, ate manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread which comes down out of heaven, so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down out of heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he shall live forever. So that means that if you're feeding on Jesus now, you're going to be satisfied. But... One day, you'll be real satisfied. It's called eternity. (laughs) Now, somebody might say, but Pastor Brock, I've been a Christian many years. I believe in Jesus, but I still get lonely. I still get depressed. I still get anxious. So, you know, Jesus doesn't satisfy me that much. (laughs) Well, if that's you, and I think periodically it's all of us, You need to look at the rest of verse 35. I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall not hunger. He who believes in me shall never thirst. Here's the next lesson. Your degree of satisfaction in Jesus corresponds to your degree of coming to him. Let me say that again. If you come to Jesus a lot, you'll be satisfied with him a lot. If you come to Jesus a little, you'll be satisfied with him a little. Nothing's wrong with Jesus. The the problem is we get satisfied on stupid, trivial things and we forget to come to him. An atheist soap manufacturer was walking down the street with his Christian friend. They start to have a conversation. The atheist says, I don't think your religion works. And the Christian says, well, why don't you think Christianity works? Well. Your Jesus came 2,000 years ago. The world is still in such a mess. Your religion doesn't work. They keep walking down the street and here's a little boy on the side of the road playing in the mud. The Christian says, Sir, I don't think your soap works. What do you mean my soap doesn't work? We have a very fine product. Well, look at that little boy over there. How muddy and dirty he is. If your soap worked, he wouldn't be dirty. The soap manufacturer said, Sir, you know, Uh, Of course my soap works you've got to apply it and the the Christian said bingo Christianity works Jesus works You've got to apply him and the problem is when I apply him when I when I come to him I get satisfied when I barely come to him. I don't get satisfied. So let me ask you the big question Do you come to Jesus he who comes to me shall not hunger what I mean is do you pray every day Do you regularly read your Bible? Do you take Holy Communion regularly? Are you in church regularly? If you're only in church when you feel like it, don't expect to be satisfied in Christ all that much. He who comes to me shall not hunger. Verse 35. He who believes in me shall not thirst. The next lesson. To believe in Jesus means to trust him. It's not just a head thing that you believe he's out there no i trust him with my heart if i jump out of an airplane with a parachute on my back i am trusting that parachute (laughs) when you say you believe in jesus you trust him you're saying lord jesus i'm trusting you're going to forgive my sins and save my soul and take care of me that's what you're saying remember years ago i was counseling a woman I can't remember for sure, but I think she was Jewish. But at the end of the counseling session, I said, well, I'll, I'll pray for you. And she said, you're not going to pray to Jesus, are you? I said, yeah. No, no. Dude. She was so afraid of the name of Jesus and that I might pray to Jesus. I'd never, I've never seen anything like it to this day. No, no, listen. The opposite is true. We should be afraid not to pray to Jesus. To, to believe in him means to trust him, to come to him. Verse 36. But I say to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. All that the Father gives me shall come to me, and the one who comes to me I will certainly not cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him, God the Father, who sent me. Next lesson. You can only come to Jesus by the Father's power, but no one who comes to him is turned away. Let me share a misconception people have. Now and then someone says, well, Pastor, I'm afraid I am not one of the predestined. And so you say, well, do you know you're a sinner? Oh, yes. Do you believe Jesus died for your sins and rose from the dead? Oh, yes. And then I say, Well, then you're predestined because you can't believe any of that stuff on your own. That's evidence that you've been predestined. I mean, let me show you, let me tell you how predestination never works. Here's a man who comes to Christ and he says, Lord Jesus, I ask you to save me. And Jesus says, nope, sorry, you're not one of the predestined. Next. It never works that way. It works just the opposite, like this. Before you are born, God predestines you to be saved and then you're born, and sometime in your life God gives you the Holy Spirit, opens your heart to receive Christ, and then you're saved. And if you believe in Christ, trust in Him, that's evidence that you've been saved and predestined, because you couldn't do that on your own. Leon Morris was a New Testament scholar, saying this about this very verse. People do not come to Christ because it seems to them a good idea. It never seems a good idea to natural man. Apart from a divine work in their heart, men remain contentedly in their sins. Before men can come to Christ, it is necessary that the Father give them to him." That's John six thirty-seven. I Years ago, I had a friend and he said, Tom, I ever tell you how I got saved? And he said, he was an unbeliever. His friend wanted him to come to hear a certain evangelist preach. And he said to me, Tom, I did not want to go, but my friend begged me, so I went. And the preacher is preaching up in the front. I was leaning on the back wall of the church. And the preacher says, if you've never accepted Christ, come forward. And my friend said, I felt something push me in the back. And I turned around, just bricks. Second time, if you've never accepted Christ, come forward. He said, second time, something pushed me in the back. Third and final time, if you've never accepted Christ, and my friend named Buddy, he said, the third push was so strong, it knocked me on my feet. I went all the way up to the altar. I got saved that night. (laughs) I think everybody gets saved that way, on our own, We don't want to come to Christ. We like running things ourselves, thank you. It's only when the Holy Spirit overcomes our weak flesh, overcomes our stubborn will, and brings us to Christ that we are saved. That's what I think Jesus means when he says, no one can come to me unless the Father do that. Look at verse 38. 39. And this is the will of him, God the Father, who sent me that of all that he has given me, I should lose nothing, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him may have eternal life, and I myself will raise him up on the last day." The lesson from those verses is this. Total satisfaction in Christ is future. It's going to happen on the last day. I just taught you earlier that your degree of satisfaction in Christ corresponds to how much you come to him. That's true. Let me tweak that a little bit. But even the greatest saints who come to Christ a lot know themselves to be the greatest sinners. And they know their total satisfaction in Christ isn't going to happen until he takes off our body of sin and gives us our new resurrection body on the last day when from then on we don't have to struggle with our sin nature anymore. We are saved, Christ does satisfy us now, present tense, but we ain't seen nothing yet. I went to visit a dear Christian woman, and she said, Pastor Brock, uh, this is a very serious operation. I might not live through it, the doctor says, but I'm at peace. If the Lord wants to take me, I'm ready to go. (laughs) She knew her satisfaction in Christ was future. Remember, years ago, there was a woman named Gertrude who was dying in the hospital. I went to visit Gertrude, came back to church that night to do a Bible study, and I said to the people, let's pray for Gertrude. And we closed our eyes, and one lady started praying, oh Lord, heal Gertrude. And I didn't have a vision, but almost. (laughs) My eyes were closed, and it's like I could see Gertrude. And she was in this dark, dusty room, standing in front of a closed door. On the other side of the door was this beautiful paradise, but our prayers for her healing were pulling her back into the dark room. And I said to the church that night, if we could see what's on the other side of that door, we'd let Gertrude go. And as I remember, she did go that week. But um, we are satisfied in Christ in this life, but the total satisfaction Is future let me close with this story that I like to tell at funerals 200 years or more ago there were no sheep in Australia they wanted to populate Australia with sheep so a large shipload of sheep leave England with lots of dry hay on board to feed the sheep all the way to Australia When they finally reached the shore of Australia, a fog settled in, so they couldn't land the ship. And the fog stayed, I can't remember, two or three days, it was just a long waiting, and the sheep stopped eating the hay. And the owners wondered, are we gonna lose our livestock here? And finally, the fog lifted, they landed the ship, the sheep went up on the green hills, ate the grass, and were saved. What had happened was, for those days offshore, the smell of the green grass on the hillside made the sheep lose all appetite for the dry hay on board. <laughs> I think that's what Christians go through. We have a whiff of what's coming, we know what's coming in the next life, and sometimes we just kind of lose our appetite. For this world and that's okay Paul says the Apostle Paul says I'd rather depart and be with Christ but I know on your account it's better if I stay for a while so um, I want to just close with this Jesus said I am the bread of life and let me tell you the story of this picture <laughs> when I was a little boy this picture Hung at the top of our stairs, and from age seven, all the way till age 20, uh, 20 when I would go to bed, you look Jesus in the eye all the way up the stairs. That was good for me. And I don't know whatever happened to this picture that I was that was down in Omaha, but a few years ago I'm at a garage sale, and here it is. now it's not the exact picture, but it's same frame, same picture. You know what I did for I think two bucks. I bought this put it at the head of my stairs, and now every night when I go to bed, I see this picture, and it's there to remind myself, to remind myself, look, Tom, Jesus is the bread of life. He's the one that brings nourishment. He's the one you want to spend time with. Everything else is bad pizza. Amen.
2: Welcome to the portion of the Pastor Study, where we now ask Pastor Brock to share with us his knowledge of Scripture and his insights to answer questions we have regarding the Bible, our Lord, and our everyday walk with Him. Pastor Brock, in light of what you preached today, if we can only come to Jesus by God's power, my question is, why doesn't God make it so everyone comes to Him?
1: That's a hard one. Jesus said, no one can come to me unless the Father draws him. And why doesn't God make everybody come to Jesus? Well, the the very common answer that I don't know is biblical is people say, well, God gives free will to everybody and you decide whether you come to Christ or not. I don't think that's biblical, Jackie, because it says in Acts, the Lord opened Lydia's heart to receive the things that Paul preached. And it says in the book of Acts, the apostles were preaching, and it says, as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. So God doesn't predestine everyone to be saved. Well, you might say, well, why not? Well, I think that's a hard one. And that's one of the things I hope to get cleared up when I'm in heaven. (laughs) You know, God has ways of dealing that we don't understand. Some would say, a Calvinist would say, God does it because he wants to display his glory in two ways. One way by judging sin, that brings honor to God. The other way by saving the lost. And so uh, God allows for both. Okay, that may be it. It, Romans 9 might teach that.
2: You know, Tom, I've always thought that Jesus was the Son of God. Mm -hmm. And what do you mean when you say he is God?
1: Yes, Uh, that was my thing at age 12, too. I always believed he was the Son of God. But when the pastor preached that Jesus is God, and when I look at the Bible, the Bible teaches, so he is the Son of God, but he's also God and you know what That's jackie it is it's beyond our noodle if somebody said if you doubt the trinity you'll lose your salvation if you try to understand the trinity you'll lose your mind <laughs> but the bible teaches there's one god in god are three persons the father who created us jesus who died on the cross the holy spirit all three persons are eternal all three persons are equally god but there's only one god and but there are different the father isn't the god the father didn't die on the cross God the son died on the cross so there are distinctions in what's called the godhead.
2: Okay. <laughs> that's a hard Oh yeah. it really is well, hard to pe- understand.
1: it is people say well this guy who does not believe Jesus is God writes me and he says well if Jesus was God who was he talking to in the garden was he talking to himself? And I said no you have God the son talking to God the father because that's what the Bible teaches.
2: So do all churches teach that Jesus is God?
1: All Christian churches teach that Jesus is God. Uh, The Jehovah's Witnesses do not, but they're not a Christian church. The Unitarians do not, but they're not a Christian church. But Jackie, here's how messed up the churches have become. The United Church of Christ, the Congregational people, they've always believed that Jesus is God. But now you can deny the deity of Christ, you can deny the Trinity now, and be a pastor in the United Church of Christ. That's how liberal that denomination is. It's kind of whatever you want is what the congregational church has become. You you make up your own beliefs.
2: You know, from some of the things you've said, I said I think that there's a confusing question that people might ask: Is do you do we actually eat Jesus when we take communion? Yeah, because yeah. you're saying.
1: Well, here's what Jesus said, and we didn't get to this verse, but if you read John <coughs> chapter 6, Jesus said, I'm the bread of life. He who comes to me shall not hunger. And the bread that I give for the life of the world is my flesh. And some people stopped following Jesus at that point saying, ooh, this is too weird. Well, I think that was a reference to Holy Communion. That we, I love taking communion, Jackie. Everybody should take communion regularly. It's our way of of feasting upon the bread of life, Jesus Christ.
2: Well, you kind of started to answer the question I was gonna ask you next, okay. and that would be, Pastor Brock, what happens when we take Holy Communion? Okay. Yep. And you gave a little bit of sure. It.
1: Here's what it, Jesus said, Is that fi- I'm gonna see if I can remember my old sermon. I think five things happen when you take communion. Number one, Jesus said, this is my body, this is my blood. We come into the real presence of Christ, this is Christ. Second thing he said, this is my blood shed for the forgiveness of sins. God reassures me when I take communion that he's forgiving my sins. So the real presence of Christ, the forgiveness of sins. Third thing he says, I won't drink of this wine with you till I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom, which means in communion, we get a foretaste of the feast to come. So we get the real presence, we get the assurance of forgiveness, we get a foretaste of the feast to come. And Jesus said, Do this in remembrance of me. When we take communion, we're remembering his sacrifice on the cross. And the number five is, as often as you eat this bread or drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until you come. So when you, he comes. So when you take communion, you're proclaiming to the people in your church, I need this, his death is what saves me. So quickly, here's what happens when you take communion. You get the real presence of Christ. You get the assurance that your sins are forgiven. You get the foretaste of the great feast to come. You proclaim a sermon that the death of Christ is what I need. And number five is you remember what he did for you on the cross. There you go.
2: <laughs> okay, I see you have some new questions yes. that you've got. Yes. And
1: we're really getting close. We are. We've only got 53 seconds. Well,
2: maybe you just want to close. Maybe
1: I better, but here we can zip we this can one save in. These. <laughs> Do we actually eat Jesus when we take communion? In 43 seconds, I'm gonna give you the three views. Catholic view is that when the priest says the words, the bread and wine actually become the very body and blood of Christ. They're not bread and wine anymore. The second view is the Lutheran view, tr- uh, consubstantiation, that it's still bread and wine, but in with and another bread and wine is the body and blood of Christ. Third view is the more Baptist view, that it's just symbolic. So those are the three ways Christians throughout the ages have understood communion. So that gives us 18 seconds. Jackie, do you want to close for
2: us? We just want to thank you for being a part of this ministry and for watching this show. And we pray that God will be with you this week, granting you his richest blessings. Until we're all together again next time.